0: The call center should just be online banking. It really should be a a different front end to be able to access it. One of the very, very cool things of working with Amazon, we have uh, all of our cloud infrastructure at Amazon. So we were able to work with them and basically take their Alexa technology and put that in online banking. So you can now call in with your voice and it authenticates you using your voice. Even better is the security aspect of it because it has to be your voice from your phone. We know AI can duplicate your voice. So it's very secure, it's multi-factor authentication. But how cool that when it calls in, it says, hi Brent, how can I help you?
1: Welcome to FinTech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Welcome to Accrued, the FinTech Confidential Series presented by LoanPro. In this series, we're deconstructing the complexities of lending and exploring compliance, optimization, modernization, and personalization through insightful conversations with the industry's best. I'm Ted Huff, and with my co-host, Colton Pond, we'll be guiding you through the intricate lending world. Whether you're deep in LendTech or just intrigued on how the technology is reshaping the lending industry, you're in the right place. So let's go ahead and dive into the next episode of Accrued. Here's a quick message from the Accrued series sponsor. As default rates continue to rise and margins compress at lending, financial organizations are searching for solutions to combine that operational efficiency with innovation. Look no further as LoanPro allows lenders to enhance their origination, servicing, collections, and payments using the foundation of a modern lending core. Check out LoanPro.io to learn more about how over 600 financial organizations have modernized their tech stack with LoanPro. Brent, one of the really cool things is you and I have had the opportunity to, to meet and we're, I'm super glad to have you on here. I know Colton's super glad to have you on. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is, is you and I've talked and I've done a little bit of research under your leadership. Waffed Bank has become a massive powerhouse worth over $22 billion in assets. And your footprint has, has expanded out into eight of the Western states. And not only that, but in 2021, four of those banks were recognized by Newsweek as the best bank. And that is one of the things that as we get into this, we'll dive into the commitment to excellence and innovation that has brought you to that point. For those who don't know your Brent's journey, Started with Wafed Bank back in 2001 and he held a number of different roles. And from, from our original discussion, Brent, the first role that you had was one you really weren't too excited about. But then you kind of moved yourself through to CFO, chief banking officer. And then in 2017, you were appointed the president and CEO and you became only the sixth president or sorry, sixth CEO in the bank's history, which spans over a hundred years. Approximately one year later after that, you launched the ambitious Vision 2025 initiative to transform into a digital first bank and focusing on how you can help your clients with their financial health and making great decisions. And you have a quote that I love and I keep going back to is, love what you do and make a difference. Colton, you've had the opportunity to really get to know Brent, and I'd love you to talk about some of the other things that people can't find by just doing a Google search. What else should we know?
2: (laughs) It's a great question. It's a lot of things I could share here. Uh, Funny enough, last week, for those that have watched the the series to this point, we had John Maxfield on the show, and uh, in the middle of the show, John's phone, blowing up, blowing up like five or six calls and he's like brent Beardall trying to get a hold of me i was like you know what Brent's one of the best humans i've ever met and also one of the smartest uh banking leaders that i've ever met um let's have him on the show but sincerely one of the best humans that i've ever met and one of the the people that has the the deepest heart and ability to love but also lead the people around him in, in a meaningful way so brent i know you didn't need all that intro but it is a pleasure to have you on the show
0: Hey, Colton, first of all, I'm sorry to have fooled you, but clearly <laughs> I, I have to have you totally fooled. And Ted, I don't know if you're available, but I'm looking for a new agent. I think you're just the man for the <laughs> job. <laughs> oh, well, thank you.
1: You know, today's discussion, we're going to dive into you, Brent, you sharing your insights, how you've navigated the challenges and how other regional banks can, can use the role of technology in banking. To really move themselves forward, and you 've really got an interesting story around your personal journey of resilience and how you 've leveraged that in your leadership across the bank Colton I, I know you wanted to to dive into some of some of the things about about Brent that in his leadership style that you 've learned
2: one of the biggest things Brent last week when we talked to John Maxfield and in the in john maxfield 's way he basically said, hey the best banking leaders have some sort of hardship or tragedy in their life that they overcome. And that helps them become and become way better leaders. So mm-hmm. I would love to under or to give the audience an opportunity to understand what that is for you, what kind of leader you are, and how you think about leadership at the bank and driving WAFET forward.
0: Uh, that, that's a that's pretty powerful way to start, but we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and start and uh, in tribute to John. And uh, Ted and I were talking a little bit about this It actually started for me when I was young, when I was uh, only 15 years of age. Uh, On Christmas Day, my father had been sick, and uh, my mom woke me up in the middle of the night uh, between the 25th and 26th and said, come in here, dad's not doing well. And uh, my dad was in a coma uh, at the time. And we we said, okay, we need to get him to the hospital, it'll take too long to uh, get the paramedic there so i literally picked up my dad and carried him to the car and we took him to the hospital i was 15 at the time in 1987 remember it's you know some things are just burned into your memory my father never woke up from that uh he passed 7 days later and so uh, that was one of the defining moments in my life in that it forced me to kind of develop this switch to be very very serious 15 years old who wants to be serious right i was a teenager and you know, California. I wanted to, you know, play in the surf and the sand and volleyball, and I had to be really serious. But I also had to figure out that there's a way to flip a switch between being serious and having fun, and there's room in life to do both. And so it really forced me to mature uh, pretty early. So that that was kind of one defining moments for me. And I, to this day, I, I still like to blow people away. The way people say, "Ah, oh, bank CEO can't do that." Hell, yes, they can. Bank CEO. <laughs> Banky CEOs can have lives, right? We can have personalities. We can be be ourselves and we can say stupid things and we can dress like fools. It doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that we're authentic, we're ourselves and we work together with our team to get stuff done. Um, and then secondly, uh, the big defining thing was about a year ago, unfortunately, I was in a plane accident uh, on January 2nd of the 2023 There was a tragic plane accident that unfortunately took the life of my friend, the co-pilot or the pilot. And uh, I was in the co-pilot seat and uh, it it suffered life-threatening injuries. Uh, It was touch and go uh, for me for a while. Uh, But bottom line, after a couple of days of surgeries and thanks to the love and prayers of so many, I was able to make it out. And um, I was able to get back to work uh, when February 13th of last year still in a wheelchair uh, and people are like beard all your nuts why would you go back to work and I'm like you don't understand for me work is an outlet it's it's a wonderful thing it fills my cup and so uh, th- that has been a real defining moment for me and just quickly I mean we, we could talk for hours on this a couple of the lessons I learned in going through that number one I was absolutely blown away and humbled by the outpouring of love and support. uh, A couple of people said, and this will sound morbid, but there's truth to it, that I had the good fortune of living through my own funeral, seeing the outpouring of love and support while I was still here. And one of the lessons I've learned is to not be ashamed or be afraid to tell people I love them. When people make a difference in my life, I uh, somebody that we both know and love Colton Brandon DeWitt right he would not be afraid to tell you he loved you no way. and I wouldn't be afraid to tell Brandon I loved him right because life is too short to not tell the people that matter in your life that you love them and you grow up in this mistaken uh, you know identity if you will that if you're a professional, you can't tell somebody at work that you love them uh, that's that's misguided in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Right. Clearly it's a professional environment. You need to keep it professional, but that doesn't mean you can't love people.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh it's, it's one of the great lessons I've had and it's disarming. And it also gives people the authority to tell you how, how they feel, whether that be, whether they love you or hate you. Right? It's not, it's not uh, one for one by any means, but it allows you to be real. It allows you to be authentic. And that gets back to what, What you led with this question, Ted, in terms of love what you do. And uh, to me, you have to be passionate about what you do. Life is too short. Every day we have is a gift. How do we choose to invest that time? There's any number of things you can do. Figure out a way to love what you do. And if you don't, go do something else. You're Mm -hmm. about that. That is the beauty of living in this country, having freedom. We can do whatever the hell we want to do. So figure out how to do something that you love what you're doing. And that's the advice I always tell kids when they say, well, what field should I go into working in? So like, what are you passionate about? What do you care about? And that doesn't mean all of our jobs are sexy. Yeah. I mean, each, each and every one of us, there's things you go, oh my goodness, I have to spend time doing this. But as we all know, sometimes you've got to take the bad with the good. And it's, it's not all roses, but on, in totality, you, you have to love what you do. Then after you figure out how to love what you do, be passionate about what you're doing, the real key to culture, in my opinion, is making a difference. right? Because that's, and Ted, you and I talked about that, that's caring. You want mm-hmm. employees that care. And if you care, you're not going to see something that's going wrong and say, yeah, not my issue, let somebody else deal with it. You're going to say I don't care what my job description says. If there's a problem, I want to try to solve that right? because we're here to try to create raving fans. If we're not here to create raving fans, go someplace else. I want to fill the bank with people that want to create raving fans. Life is too short not to have raving fans. and it, As a result, we've been able to take our net promoter score from a 17 five years ago up to a 57. I think a 57 net promoter score puts us probably in the top 15% of all financial institutions in the United States, which is not bad for a bank that's been around for 105 years. And believe me, we still have wood to chop.
2: Yeah, I love that. Uh, Brett, there's two aspects that I will <coughs> One, I, w- I will say, I've been to Wofford's headquarters. You see it in your employees. Like when I walked in, you eh, go into some banks, you're like, uh, people don't want to be there. Clock in at nine, out at five, like I'm done, right? I'm out. But you see the passion and the passion that you brought there. And then the other aspect, you brought up Brandon DeWitt, um, who was both mine and, and Brent's really good friend, the, the late CTO and co-founder of MX. But he would always say something that I remember when I heard about your accident and we spoke after, I thought about, he would always say, life is beautiful and act like it. And it is. Life is beautiful. Life is a beautiful gift. And what's awesome to me to see, especially at WAFED is you turning around metrics like MPS and other things like that, but doing it at the top. You as a a leader of Wafed and your entire executive team aligned on driving forward the mission purpose of Wafed and all down to the entry level tellers at at the bank and and everyone throughout the bank. And I love that culture. I think it's a key aspect of the success that you all have driven.
0: And the sad reality is we have a, a competitive advantage because there's a lot of bank management teams that are just here to ride out until retirement. You're right. You know, I really don't want to take a chance on XYZ initiative because it could fail. Right? Why, why 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 would I upset the apple cart? And to us, we've got a fairly young management team that we've got, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in front of us and we're like, hell yeah, let's take a chance. Let's try to do something special. Let's see how can we literally leapfrog generations of technology, One of our biggest problems is how do we hire bankers today? So let's, let's utilize AI to make the jobs more interesting, yeah. right, to allow them to do things. Uh, we're, we're right now, we're going through a conversion. We just got approved to acquire Luther Burbank in California. It's an $8 billion bank. Uh, we will close on the transaction on the 29th of February. So that's a leap day, Thursday, the 29th. On Friday, the 1st of March, we will close the branches early and we will start conversion. And on Monday, the 4th, we will have every one of their systems converted, all the signage, everything done. To my knowledge, in the history of banking, there may be one or two, but I don't know about them. Nobody has done it faster than that. right? And believe me, there is fur flying all over the place. I mean, there's all kinds of things that need to happen right now. What I have everybody focused on, we, in each of their branches, we will have two Waffed employees. And we're going to go out not only and greet the customers as they come in, we're getting lists of all their customers, their, 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 their largest, their best customers. And we're going to call them up individually.
2: I love that. Nice.
0: And say, welcome to Wafet Bank. Let me introduce myself. I don't need anything from you. I'm not scamming you or anything. I just want to let you know, we're here. We care about you. We appreciate it. And by the way, let me tell you about the products and services we can offer now that you didn't have before. Yeah. It's not rocket science. It turns out people care. If you can personalize the experience, you differentiate yourself.
1: Well, and that, that aligns with the human centered leadership that, that you've established, that culture that you've established at the bank. And I'm curious, how have you seen your personal values? and the culture, mission, and vision of the bank transform as, as you have, and especially with this acquisition, how do you see that lending to a smooth transition in such a short time?
0: It's really all about empowerment. Right? If, if I'm going to challenge everybody to love what they do and make a difference, I have to empower them to make that difference. Um, you know how it is in banking. It's typically about command and control and internal controls that will prevent you from making mistake after mistake after mistake. And generally, you can't get anything done. We had to be willing to let go a little bit and recognize that it's okay to fail. My, 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 my I tell people they need to be failing because if they're not failing, they're not trying hard enough. I would imagine one or both of you ski a little bit if you're
2: a skier and you're never falling, it means you're not pushing it hard enough. Right? Brad, I tell my wife that all the time, like all the time, every time we go skiing and she's taking it, she's like, she ends the day and she's like, I fell five times, how many times did you fall today? <laughs> and <it's> a bad <laughs> honor, you're so right. No, it, it is, right? And it's too easy to just go through
0: life just coasting. Hey, yeah, I didn't, I didn't fall at all. And again, this is just my judgment. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But no, I, I wanna be pushing the edge of the envelope to be getting better, to be improving and improving what we're offering to our clients. And that means sometimes we're gonna make mistakes. But if you make mistakes, right, you don't wanna fall off the cliff when you're skiing, right? You, you wanna you want fall somewhere that might have oh, yeah. some powder and you know make sure it's not a yard sale, right? I say, fail small, fail quickly, right? Yeah. If you're gonna fail, you don't want it to be a 12-month failure process. It needs to be quick. But like, Everybody's focused on the failures, those failures enable outsized potential in terms of what you can get done by taking chances and thinking outside the box. And so and that's really the key for me, is to say, hey, this is what we're gonna try to do. What do you need from me to empower you to get it done?
2: I love the focus on how to empower your team members. It's, it, by inter- as I've interacted with lots of your team members at Wafed Bank, it's evident that they feel empowered where that's not always the case within the banking ecosystem. Y'all would be considered a regional bank and we know over the past year and a half or so, the negative consequences have hit, have hit regional banks and y'all have continued to grow and continue to show uh, positive metrics. I would love your perspective on man, man, what's, what's the secret sauce? Um, what advice would you give to regional banks? Like You you mentioned a lot about taking risks and personalizing. like. What advice would you give to regional banks on how they stay relevant and profitable?
0: Yeah, well, this is probably similar to what you heard from John Maxfield, because uh, he and I've talked about it a lot. I try to be a student of banking history, mm-hmm. right? Because I want to learn from others' mistakes. Uh, and if you look at bank failures historically, there is one common theme, and that's hubris. It is human nature. You start having success. And you start thinking that your you know body odor doesn't smell. And you 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 start thinking you are all of that. And the reality is, no, my body odor smells, right? I I can stink at times. And you don't want to surround yourself with people that are just Brent, you're so great. This is fantastic. And hopefully I do have some things that are I'm doing okay. But I want people that also call me out and say, Beardle, what the hell were you thinking about this? Or hey. You want to, you want to go, you know, run X, Y, Z play. That's exactly the wrong play. We need to do, you know, the other play the opposite direction and it be empowered to have that conversation. It's one of the things that we are missing in our society today is constructive disagreement. That's good right? Let, let, let's be able to disagree. At the end of the day, we all need to rally and get on the same page. And I need to be humble enough to admit when I'm wrong because there should be times when I'm wrong. And that's what I think is part of making a difference uh, here at the bank. I tell employees all the time, if they ever hear me say something that they believe is patently false, call me out on it. There could be nothing worse than a leader that gets up there and says something that's wrong. Hopefully they do it in a respectful way and so forth. But no way. I'm not all that. You look at Silicon Valley Bank, which caused the crisis of last spring. Yes. They were guilty of a lot of things. They were guilty of mismanaging the bank from an interest rate risk standpoint. But their biggest fault, in my opinion, was hubris. Hmm. Every time they went to the capital markets, capital markets said, how much money do you want? They would give them more capital every single time for 40 years. So the hubris was, you know what? Let's announce this balance sheet restructuring that we're going to take $2 billion of losses. And so what it blows a hole in our balance sheet? We'll just go, you know, past that and get more capital. <laughs> the, the hubris was just that. <laughs> you know, and somebody else, they'll, they'll solve the problem in the, in the equity market, said, okay, great. We, we like you, we'll fill it. You took $2 billion of losses. Let us ask one more question. How much more do you have to take in losses? And when they looked at that, and it was in all their public disclosures, if you took all of their losses, they were insolvent. Wow. And people said, holy crap. Why would we put more money into a bank that's effectively insolvent? And then you have the most sophisticated deposit base out there. One person started calling another. The tweets went out, and all of a sudden, the run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. It was hubris. (laughs) (laughs) Had they just simply said, you know what? We've got a problem here. Let's raise more capital. For general corporate purposes, they would have gone out and raised $3 billion of capital and then waited three weeks, and then they could have done a balance sheet restructuring. They would still be here today with one of the best deposit franchises in the United States of America. So that is one thing I am constantly trying to remind myself of and of my team, Let's avoid hubris, right? Because you get into these positions, oh my goodness, you're the CEO of a now $30 billion financial institution and you can do no wrong. Yeah. Wrong. BS, you can do a lot of wrong and you need to surround yourself with people that will call you out on it when you do it. And quite frankly, that's the job of your board of directors, right? And that's why you need a board of directors that is willing to say, hey, you know what? I I think this is wrong. Let's have that active discussion. And by damn, if I can't convince you why I think we should do something, then we probably shouldn't be doing it.
2: I'm curious your perspective as well on the role that technology has played at Wafet Bank. Uh, Wafet or Ted mentioned that y'all have uh, really focused and I've seen this on, on the leap to be more digital centric and be digital first. Um, What role has technology played as far as differentiation and growth, and what role do you feel like technology will play moving forward Too Banking
0: is one of the very industry-interesting professions that you're really paying it forward, Uh, right? The results we are experiencing today are the results of work that occurred three, four, five, six, seven years ago. We are planting the seeds today that we will harvest, uh, you know, the, the fruits of that three, four, or five years from now. So it, it is one of those interesting things. And back when I had the good fortune of taking over as CEO, I said, we have this question, a choice. how We can go for the next 10 years and we can we can try to spend as little as possible and just harvest as much as we can out of this stream of revenue that's coming our way that will be dwindling. Atrophy was happening. We're losing customers and but still could be very, very profitable until it's not. It's back to that hubris. No, we, we can't change because what we're doing is working so well. And I I went to the board and not only did the board agree with me, they said, Brent, you need to do it faster. You need to aim higher. Historically, people did business with us for two reasons. One, a rock solid balance sheet. That's kind of our DNA. That's who we are. We, we don't make you know, very risky loans from a credit perspective. And number two, relationships matter, customer service. That's who we are it's back to that personalized service. It's fantastic. And I said, wouldn't it be great if we could really pair those two attributes, those qualities, those values with a third, which is technology that makes people go, wow. I love
2: that.
0: Right? As simple as that. I, I Don't complicate technology. At the end of the day, what we deliver to our clients needs to wow them. You talk to people that use Amazon, they're like, wow, that was easy. That's pretty cool that Amazon thinks what I might be about to purchase and recommends it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same thing with Netflix. It. We need to try to do that with banking. And YouTube. both know that's an incredible challenge. An <laughs> incredible a challenge, let, let alone for a regional bank. Yeah. Yeah. JP Morgan spends $13 billion per year on technology, right? And quite frankly, they do a pretty good job, but they still have issues. How can a bank our size, right? we have soon to be 30 billion in assets. How can we find technology that makes people go, wow. And the only way we can do that is we have to be more nimble. We have to be willing to fail. We have to go with FinTech providers. We have to take risks and build stuff ourselves The fact of the matter is because we are smaller, we can be more nimble and we can get stuff done and our clients will be more patient with us because it turns out there's a fundamental disdain for the largest banks in this country. So there's there's a reason people want to bank where they can have a relationship. And if you can be in this sweet spot that I say is big enough to be relevant, small enough to be nimble, I think there's a huge opportunity for us.
1: And and Brent, one of one of the favorite stories that you told me, I think one of the first times that we met, was you know I asked about well, you wanted to be technology first, a digital financial institution. What did you start with? And and, and your story of paper ledgers, like some antiquated machines, all of those different things, it makes me really think you had a lot to do to get to where you guys are now. And a lot of the regional banks are trying to figure out how do they, how do they move with the technology? How do they move forward and how do they thrive? What do you think that they should be focused on first when you're looking at a technology to, to move, move the financial institution forward?
0: Yeah, so uh, th- this is actually something that Brandon and I came up with together uh, for regional banks. We call it the path to freedom, right? Uh, we all feel like our, our our hands are tied, right? We are just beholden on whatever our provider is. Well, we can't do that because they say if we want to implement a CRM, it will take two and a half years and project management team and so forth. So it is what it is, and just stick with it, right? Again, just just ride out what's what's coming in. To me, so the key for mid-sized banks is finding that path to freedom because you're never going to do it all at once. And that's why everyone is so reticent to change a core because there's so much risk involved in it. How can you find a solution where you are no longer dependent on the core, but you say, you know what? I'm going to keep everything on the core, but I'm going to go with my online banking preference over what you have, or I'm going to go with a different mobile provider, or I'm going to go, you name it, a different payments provider. That That is what we've been able to do, um, thanks in large part to our technology partner that's actually a spin-off of Wafit called Archway that has really allowed us this middleware layer uh, that connects our core with external systems. And to me, that would be the key is say, okay, hey, what is your biggest pain point? When you talk to your clients, what is your biggest pain point? And simply solve that pain point. Don't try to boil the ocean. Right. Everybody can say, okay, you look at everything holistically. Well, We need to change these 14 systems. If you need to change 14 systems, kiss it goodbye. It's over. Figure out one, figure out a way to be able to change that one system in a short time frame, three to four months, and then tackle the next one. And then the other thing that's completely counterintuitive of us as bankers and accountants, because typically there's a really close correlation, is we always think, okay, I'm gonna solve this problem and you name it, I'm gonna solve this problem with mobile banking and as soon as I solve this, then I'm gonna be able to focus on everything else. BS, it doesn't work that way. Amazon doesn't launch a product and then set it and then move on to something else. They launch the product and what do they do? They listen and then they
2: iterate, yeah.
0: right? And so that's technology in banking technology in general is a journey with no destination. Today we have, I think, um, 15 different versions of our website. We try to personalize it. So when uh, Colton logs on from Utah, there's, you know, views of the ski resorts in Utah. It's not showing them the Puget Sound, right? Or if somebody logs in in Dallas, Texas, they're not seeing the Seahawks Stadium in the background, right? You want to personalize it. And it's simple things like that, but they matter. They do. And so... Historically we we said, okay, we're gonna fix something, we've got it up and running. And you typically get it up and running with the you know minimal viable product, the MVP, and then okay, move on to something else. No. As soon as you get it up and running, start fine-tuning it, getting it
2: better. I I love that. So Brent, you bring up path to freedom. Path to freedom is a big reason why I'm at Loan Pro is like how to help financial institutions innovate outside of the handcuffs that they're placed within uh, legacy providers. I would love to dive in and understand some of the innovation that you all have done at WAFED recently, and the impact that that's had, and and the journey, and some of the key wins you've had. One of the things I love is like in talking to your team, I've learned a lot, and talking to Archway and Pike, Pike Street on stuff you've done with voice-activated banking and things like that. Give us some insight into the ideation process, the development process, the the launch process and the impact that those things have for the bank and then the iteration process.
0: Yeah, so it it, it always starts with a need, right? What what was the need? And uh, we had a very, like a 20 year old uh, call center software system and more and more people are calling in and right, you press one, if you want to deal with your checking account, press two with the same. And I mean, it was awful, this voice tree, this voice response unit. And so we said, okay, <laughs> How, how how do we get with the modern age? And we had uh, Dustin Hubbard, our CTO, who's president of Archway look into it and he's like, Brent, really the call center should just be online banking. Right? I mean, we it, it really should be a, just a, a different front end to be able to access it. One of the very, very cool things of working with Amazon, we have uh, all of our cloud infrastructure at Amazon. One of the cool things I love about Amazon, they say, we built all this really cool stuff. Here's your tool chest, go for it. And so we were able to work with them and basically take their Alexa technology and put that in uh, online banking. So you can now call in with your voice and it authenticates you using your voice. And the even better is the security aspect of it because it has to be your voice from your phone mm-hmm. because we know AI can duplicate your voice. Yeah. So, I was just not to ask you that question. Yeah. <laughs> no, so it's, it's very secure. It's multi-factor authentication. But how cool that when it calls in, it says, hi, Brent, how can I help you? Again, that personalization. And then it's, I want my checking account. What are the last three checks I had paid? What are the last two deposits? Whatever you want, use plain English and tell me. And also, we don't hide behind, you can't speak to somebody. I want to speak to my banker. Great. We will get you to your banker. We we want to enable people to be served how they want to be
2: served. We
0: don't want to hide behind call trees.
2: One of the things we're talking about in this podcast series is along long personalization and how to drive personalization and lending. And that's a killer example and, and one that use technology in your backyard in Seattle. Here's the coolest thing.
0: To my knowledge, there is not another bank in the country that has it. Yeah. Right. I think Schwab does it on their brokerage accounts. Other than that, nobody else does it. And I talk to high net worth individuals all the time. We want deposits. High (laughs) net worth individuals have a lot of deposits, right? I said, what what can we do? What what is your biggest pain point with bank? Number one pain point is wire transfers. So then the next thing I said, okay, let's build out wire transfers in online banking. And once you submit your online banking, Colton's going to pay uh, Ted, you know, $5,000. All of a sudden the system will call him back and says, Colton, we want to review this wire transfer. Please authorize this with your voice. And then your wire transfer is sent. How stinking cool is that? Right? That's really it, cool. it literally, it's a wow. I get clients that talk to their friends and neighbors about it at cocktail parties. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it's Talking a, about sending a wire, that's
1: thats crazy. But, but wh- why do they do it? Because they know it's a pain for everybody. What are you seeing from from your bank, the biggest challenges that are going on in the lending landscape? And how are you leveraging the technology to combat it?
0: The biggest challenges we and most everyone have in lending right now is the lack of availability because repayments have slowed down so much. A year and a half ago, we generated about eight and a half billion of new loans, right? So we were on this pace where, we can make eight and a half billion each year. Let's go to nine billion. Let's go to 10 billion in the highest quality loans. We put the technology in place. It was a really good process. Then all of a sudden repayments slowed way down. Repayments came down like 60, 70% because it turns out nobody wants to prepay their three and a half percent mortgage and go get a 7% mortgage. Imagine that. So it's, it's finding that is the biggest challenge right now in terms of finding the capacity. One of my personal pet peeves is you go through, put all this information in, then it finally routes you to somebody 10 minutes later. And well, can I start with your social security number? You're like, are you kidding me? Don't do that to me. No, everything that goes over, they can see exactly. They they pull up a page that shows your last transactions. It shows where you've logged on from. It shows how long you've been a customer at WAFED. what kind of loans? what kind of deposits. It's a CRM holistic view. So we can say, great, Ked, thank you for being a customer with us for 15 years. I can see you've been having trouble with your online banking. Is that what this call would be about? It turns out if you actually pay attention to what you know about your customers, you're going to create raving fans. That, that, that's, that's just a temporary problem, right? Because rates will come down and it will start up again. But in terms of lending technology, it still never ceases to amaze me how we treat 20-year clients like they're brand new clients to us. Uh, we have all the information about them, but, you know, Ted, you come in and say, I want a new loan with Woffit. Fantastic. Here's a fancy, what's essentially a PDF form for you to fill out to tell us everything you want in the loan. In today's day and age, are you kidding me? Yeah. We need to have the answers to say, that's fantastic, Ted. Here are the three different loan offers we think will be best for you. What do you think?
1: Yeah.
0: It, it, it doesn't seem like a lot to ask. Nobody has it today.
1: Why do you think that?
0: The, the reason for it is the antiquated tech stack in the silos of information, right? So going Normal, back normally, to you core. have an origination system that stands on its own. You have a servicing system that stands on its own, a core system that stands on its own, the depository, right? And if you have a financial aggregator that stands on right? itself. You need something to be able to look across all the different silos and say, this is everything we know about Ted. It turns out he's an A-plus credit risk. Whatever he wants, let's do.
1: So it almost sounds like, you know, the, the desire to not have everything in a single core to be able to give you the flexibility you want also is one of the things that causes some of the friction for your customers.
0: I, no, I think historically that's the way it was. But I think if you can get that out in the cloud, and you can access the information in the different cores and bring it together, I I, I think you, it, the lack of flexibility, the lack of API integration is what <laughs> killed the legacy systems. Yeah. But I, I I don't care if it's in fifteen different systems, if it's all in the cloud environment I built and we can access all that information, and it's not just the information that we. Really, the A plus information about Colton that we want to know. We also want to know how often has he gone to our website? Yep. What areas of our website? Right. It turns out if he's looking at the home equity loan, right, that maybe the next time he comes, we should suggest here's a home equity loan we have for you. Oh, by the way, if all of a sudden his purchases at Home Depot have gone up, <laughs> you know, to five thousand dollars every other month, well, maybe we look at a home improvement loan or something for him. Right? We, we're not paying attention to what's happening in different areas of the bank. We need to look at Colton holistically.
2: So, so I think one of the aspects you're highlighting there is, Brent, bringing all your data into one spot. And that involves, I love that you highlight like market, everything from marketing data to financial transaction data to credit data, all of the data within one spot. Because if you think about banks, uh, banks have the most data about a customer. They have data that even Amazon and Netflix and Walmart want financial data, right? You know all of their transactions, where they're, uh, what their spending habits are, all of their data. And there's a lot that you can do with personalizing your approach on lending products to offer. On our side, where Loan Pro focuses on how do you service more efficiently? What I'd love to do is dive a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. how you all... How did broader challenges in the lending ecosystem influence Wi-Fi's strategic priorities?
0: Yeah, 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 you're gonna get me going on this, Colton, and, and you know this, know me well enough to know. I've got a couple of lending ideas that I think are $10 <laughs> to $20 billion ideas. I, I really do. But uh, we also have to be strategic, right? As I said, right now, it's a capacity issue, right? It's, it's a deposit issue. The biggest question, and this is one of the harsh realities for regional banks, is the assets will come and go. The quality matters, but the assets will come and go. The real differentiator for regional banks is how are you going to fund those deposits or those assets? Are you gonna be able to fund those with low cost sticky deposits? Are you gonna fund those with high cost borrowings or high cost CDs? So that's the question that especially in today's day and age after last spring, everybody is hyper focused on deposits, but you never know what's going to happen. I, I like to tell people all the time, Things so change so quickly. We are so hyper focused on the now, right? Everybody's focused on deposits now. I take everybody back to uh, remember March of 2020. Oh, everyone was flushed with deposits. It, well, flushed with deposits. In every single investor conference I went to, every news media interview I had, Brit, talk to me about your hotel exposure. I mean, WAPED, you, you guys <laughs> like $900 million of hotel exposure. Nobody's going to hotels. I mean, these things, fire sale these things, get rid of these things. And I'm like, pause, take a time out, right? Breathe. These, yeah. Breathe. Yeah. Exactly. The sky <laughs> is not falling. Hold so, on a second. So, in this moment, hotels are bad because nobody's going, but this moment will pass. Now back forward to today. What's happened? Hotels are golden because mm-hmm. the profitability is through the roof. They offer less services and they charge you more. Literally, the average hotel profitability is up 25% over where it was pre-pandemic that we bank,
2: yep.
0: right? So let's, let's not hyper-focus on the now, let's have the longer-term approach, milk it, knowing that cycles will happen. So I, I'm, I'm excited about uh, what some of those lending possibilities can be for us in the future.
2: Yeah. And then I was going to say, so now you have people and I watched your CNBC article or CN- news clip on commercial real estate. You have people say the world is falling when it comes to commercial real estate, which is not always the case. Uh, you go listen to Brent's uh, uh, recording on CNBC. It was really good. Yeah. No, I, no, I, I can't let that go
0: without saying for people worried about commercial real estate, ask yourself three questions. What kind of commercial real estate? You have to understand the segments of commercial real estate. Number two, understand the markets they're in. Real estate is local. Are you talking about real estate in downtown Manhattan? Or are you talking about real estate in Boise, Idaho? Very, very different. And then number three, you have to understand how much equity the borrower has in it. If you understand those three characteristics about the commercial real estate, you can understand pretty well how much credit risk there is.
1: So When I look at that, it, it op- opens up a number of different opportunities around these different lending services. You talk about the the skies falling piece of it that we were talking about with the commercial commercial real estate. What other opportunities or what opportunities are you seeing for lending services around maybe data analytics, customer service, customization, how do you make it more efficient? I know we kind of touched on it, but I like to get a little bit specific in that area.
0: Yeah, there, there's all kinds of opportunities. Colt mentioned a few, right? we're likely gonna go through some economic stress, right? Do not treat everyone the same. Understand the fundamentals of what's happening. And as a banking industry, we are terrible. We typically force people to make the hardest decisions in the worst possible time. What can we do to utilize data, to utilize analytics, to understand what can we do to give Ted more time? To pay us, because the vast majority of Ted's in the world, they want to pay you back mm-hmm. if you give them the option, if you give them the yes. chance to pay them. But so many of us as bank, nope, so you sign the paperwork, either you pay us back or by damn, you're gonna learn the lesson or I'm gonna foreclose on you. As soon as we foreclose as a bank, there's another 20 to 30% discount of the value when somebody sees a bank owns it. because yep. they say, oh, I can take advantage of the bank. Yep. What can we do, Ted, to help you get back on your feet? Can we take three months of payments and capitalize it and then help you get right? What are the things we can do to work with you? Now you need to be willing, well, I'm not gonna do that for you if you think you're a strategic defaulter, but if you're, if you're genuinely having a hard time and you're busting your tail to work through it, what can we do to help you? And that's one of the great learnings of the pandemic is banks stopped taking such a hard line that we took in 08 and 09 and we started working with people It's one of the reasons things worked out pretty darn well. So I think we need to build in flexibility in terms of how we service loans. And it's one of the reasons that Colton and I got to uh, talk about Loan Pro is Loan Pro provides that kind of flexibility for you. So, okay, hey, we understand you don't want to treat all the clients the same. Let's give them some options. And here's what options would look like. And here's what a servicing system that could support those options could look like.
2: Yeah. Uh, on that note, actually, a, a few weeks ago, I got the uh, ability to be able to go to one of our customers and watch frontline agent service loans. And one of the examples was someone called in and said, hey, um, so I just lost my job, but I found a new job and I'm going to uh, get paid in, in a month. I, I don't have a pay, payment in two weeks. Can we move that back two weeks? And the servicing agent was like, oh, uh, one second, let me check. Checked the, uh, check the rules, said, oh, is this within compliance and rules? It was. Hit done and said, okay, yeah, that's taken care of. She's like, oh, no, do you have to go talk to someone? And, and she's like, no, it's already done. You're good. Your payment's now due on the 30th of the month. And delightful experiences like that mean a lot. It turns lending from a transactional. For a long time, lending has been a transactional business. It's like, I give you money, you pay me back. If not, I'm going to take your assets, Right. In the end, what it needs to do, and Waffed has done a really good job here, Brent, is turning it into a relationship, right? And it doesn't need to be a transaction. It needs to be a relationship of you and I working together on, on terms that we've agreed to.
0: No, and that's exactly right. And, and when you can successfully do that, price doesn't become the primary differentiator. Someone will pay yeah. a little bit more in price if they believe the bank has your back. Uh, th- that's foundational to
2: what I believe. You talked about this idea of evaluating the market, seeing what pains there are, prioritizing that, going and innovating by having this middleware layer that allows you to actually innovate and not be beholden to legacy technology. But then one of the biggest things that you talked about that we didn't drill into is this iterative innovation. Launching something, Mm -hmm. testing, finding feedback, doing it again. How do you fix that loop? And what does that process look like? And how do you make sure that you're getting feedback from customers back and back into the development cycle to constantly improve new products.
0: That feedback loop is very important. I I find that too often we inundate ourselves with so much feedback, we're overwhelmed with it. And one. I personally hate surveys, hate surveys. I, I hate internal surveys. I hate customer surveys, right? I mean, it's like begging for a compliment. <laughs> oh, of course I gonna take. And and be careful if you ask for information, they give you information, then you don't do something with it.
2: You're but
0: you're telling people you don't care about it, right? It's it's a waste of time. My next pet peeve is employee evals, right? Uh, we, we got rid of employee evals at WOSED. If our employees don't understand how their manager feels about them, that's shame on the manager. Why do something just to do something? So my point is, how do you get that feedback? I want it firsthand, I want our employees to be customers. Hmm. Say, hey, you just went and opened an account online, how was it? Well, it sucked, what okay, let's do? fix it. Yeah. I want to be out talking to our clients. Okay, what did you just do with us, how was it? And it turns out there is so much information there available to us, you don't have to run a massive campaign and let's make sure that it's statistically relevant, BS. I mean, you certainly can do that. I, I wouldn't, you know, from my perspective, you don't need to. The information is there staring us at, in the face if we simply ask the question of our employees that use it and of our clients that we're visiting. One of the things that turned me on to MX back in the day, they used to have a team that did nothing but search the Apple store reviews. And if there were negative reviews, they would say, I'm so sorry. Hey, we've taken that under advisement. And then two days later, hey, we launched a new version. How do you think of it now? Right. That's awesome.
2: I love that.
1: That immediate feedback, that loop making it as short as possible and then also just not letting it fall off to the side is is really really huge. One of the things that Colton brought up that I'd like to kind of understand is like how do you prioritize that? That feedback as it comes in, how do you determine like which is the most important to to deliver to your customers?
0: Yeah, and and quite frankly that's a job of leadership. First before you go seek what else you're going to do, you need to get done what's on your plate now, right? We are notorious of it in banking. Hey, let, let's let's start thinking about the next project before we've even finished the one at hand, right? And then and it turns out the one you it. have at hand is going to be the minimal viable product and then everybody no. Let's let's set Targets. What are we into? Once we get there, then let's start something else. And frankly, what we do is we sit around as a management team and say, "Hey, here's what I'm hearing and seeing from my feedback," and then we prioritize. Okay, we say, well, "This is what we want to do." It's an iterative process all the time. And then we communicate that with the board and we say, "Hey, here's here's our initiatives. Here's what we're going to tackle." Because you're not going to boil the ocean, right? And it, you have to be willing to say, "You know what? Our fixed asset accounting system sucks, and I don't care." It's going to suck forever and it's okay because that adds no value. Not going to create raving fans by having a really cool fixed asset accounting system. doesn't matter.
1: One of the things that that I listened to you go through this and you talk about the prioritization, you talk about the technology, the fact that you were thinking so early on about where you were going to take the bank to be a digital bank, I'd love for you to pull out your crystal ball or (laughs) whatever you use and, and kind of enlighten us to what future trends do you see in lending and banking? Is it AI? Does that have a potential? What what are we gonna be able to do to add some human touch? What what are your thoughts for the future of banking and lending?
0: One of the things that I, I get nervous about, everybody's excited about is AI and the uh, automated adjudication, uh, which obviously makes all the sense in the world. Hey, give me these 52 data points and we're gonna make the best decision possible. That being said, I proceed with caution. I think we're all going to go down that route and we're going to get our hands uh, slapped pretty good by the regulators because, okay, what data are you using and how are you making sure that that's unbiased data? right? And how does that, uh, you, you look at the desperate impact of potential data, right? Just like, hey, we all use credit scores. Well, it turns out that credit scores might be biased in one way, shape, or form. So I, I'm not there, there will be improvements there, but that, that's not what I'm betting on. Uh, I, I really think we need to just look around and say, okay, what are our bankers doing that are just absolute um, mundane tasks, and how can we automate those tasks? So how can we empower those bankers to reach out and have a relationship with coal? How can we right, allow them to build those relationships Because I do believe that you want to be a digital first bank. I think 98% of the banking transactions will be digital. They'll figure them out. But you differentiate yourself by having a relationship. Mm -hmm. Where, Ted, you're happy to call uh, Colton and say, hey, you know what? I'm I'm thinking about selling my business. What do you think I should do? Just having someone you can reach out to and talk to in financial literacy in the U.S. (laughs) Because people are embarrassed. They're ashamed about it. Wouldn't it be cool if they truly, and I I believe this, everyone deserves a bank. A banker they can trust, a banker that isn't to get them into whatever product they can do so the banker can move their bonus, earn their bonus and move on. But a banker that's really looking out for your best interests. And they're not mutually exclusive. You can
2: have both. I, I love that. So in closing, you talked about, hey, Balance it, and I always think that this is the right thing and the right message to give. Balance it with compliance. (laughs) You as a bank can't just like go and just innovate and innovate and innovate and (laughs) don't think about the compliance arm. These two go together. We see a lot of instances in where banks overweight compliance and underweight innovation, and some where folks have overrated innovation at the expense of compliance. (laughs) Those two need to work seamlessly together.
0: What's hard is you're you're trying to skate to where the puck's going to be. Yeah. Right, and and that's that's hard. And again, you can't be afraid to fail. Uh, so that, that's just one area that I'm really nervous about. We saw some of these lawsuits against Microsoft for their generative AI and New York Times. Wait a second, you're using our content to create all of this stuff, right? So there there's so much yet to play out in, in that space. So it's something I think we just need to be cautious of.
1: Well, and just the other day there was a an a letter written by the SEC where they talked about their fear of everything being ai washed and not being able to understand what it actually does what benefit it actually is providing what is it actually doing the whole actual piece is the is what they kept repeating over and over and over again and i think that's that's something that no matter what industry you're in if you're looking at leveraging any form of artificial intelligence you've you've got to really understand what is it doing and how is it actually helping?
0: Yep. And, and, and what is the data source that it's using to gain its intelligence oh, that's,
1: that's That's even right. more important. So I want to thank you, Brent. You've, you've been a fabulous guest. You've brought the passion that is undeniable to, to the discussion. You know, I really appreciate that. And the couple of things that I took away today was um, empower your team. Understand that that you're going to have to give up some control to get that that movement forward. Um, I love the piece from you where you're really talking about the transparency and the honesty when it comes to that. Uh, a perfect example was when you just recently mentioned the annual review process has been eliminated. That. It gives me chills thinking about that because that was my most disliked thing to do as a leader and to have as an employee. That's the worst things that I'd ever had. But lastly, from my perspective, and I'll hand it off to Colton to kind of him to recap his thoughts. But I love the fact that you're looking at, let's find the technology that solves the problem so that we can move things forward and delight our customers It's not about how can I keep it the least expensive and meet the minimum viable acceptance of, of my, of my base. And that means a lot to me. And I really appreciate hearing you say that.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Right. I I appreciate the time. I love you like a brother, man. Uh, And if I, one aspect that is always so incredible and every time we interact, I'm like, man, I come away with a better understanding of this. It's that life is beautiful. It is so beautiful. And the more that all of members of the leadership team, and all of your employees feel that way and are passionate about driving forward outcomes and objectives that help the, the customers that you serve, the better. Um, and I think that's, if, if you were to bundle up the secret sauce of Woffhead, that's a big part of the secret sauce is the team that you built and the culture you built there, because uh, it, it shows through in all aspects of what y'all do.
0: Yeah, well, well, gentlemen, thank you both for your time. I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, let me just close by saying I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I, I literally, I, I'll, I'll have that debate with anybody. And I think I've, I've got some pictures that can prove it. I, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I shouldn't be here today. And I'm here today. I, I wake up and I'm grateful for every day. Uh, life is beautiful. Uh, even when you ha- you've got a crappy day, we're still alive, right? I, perspective is an amazing thing. I tell people all the time, even if the FDIC showed up tomorrow and said, we're gonna close down the bank because of XYZ. I would argue with them, I'd tell them why they're wrong They we're one of the strongest banks in the country. But at the end of the day, I'd hand them the keys and say, there you go, I'm still alive, right? And uh, having that perspective uh, is a beautiful perspective and it doesn't make you afraid to fail. Uh, back to your point, Ted, right? And we we have to have that ability to withstand failure and that's that's how you learn, that's how you grow, that's how you get better. And if if you want to wow your clients, that means occasionally you're gonna you're gonna fall flat on your face. But let me tell you, when you do wow your clients, it is worth every second of it.
1: Well, and that is another episode of a crude, a FinTech Confidential Series proudly presented by Loan Pro. Remember, we've, we're launching these every week. We're bringing on leaders just like Brent to talk about what's going on in lending, lending technology and banking. As we wrap up today's episode, I've got one last thing for you. If you're in the trenches fighting fraud and financial crime, you know it's a complex battlefield. That's where Hawk's AI tools for real-time payment screening, AML, transaction monitoring, and dynamic customer risk rating come into play. These aren't just buzzwords. They're game changers designed to make your compliance more effective and less of a headache. Imagine slashing through false positives with precision and giving your compliance strategy the edge it needs. Head on over to Get hawkai.com to sign up for a demo and discover how their platform can revolutionize how you fight fraud and financial crime.
2: This has been a production of DD3 Media with all rights reserved. This is provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. We strive to provide accurate and up to date information but will not be responsible for any missing facts or inaccurate information. You comply and understand that you should use any of this information at your own risk. Cryptocurrencies are highly volatile financial assets, so research and make your own financial decisions.